When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In Chicago, two comedian skeptics named Andy and Art were mysteriously abducted by the illusionary mastermind and conspiracy theorist known only as Mr. Mr. Bunker. Bunker. The following serves as a record of Bunker's attempt to convince non-believers of the truth about conspiracies and paranormal activity. Andy and Art give an uninterrupted presentation and verdict on the plausibility of these offbeat topics, delivering what they call the, the whole enchilada. Will Mr. Bunker convince these two skeptics any of this is real? Will it convince you? Welcome to Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Art Stone, and with me, as always, is your co-host, Andy Hart. Hey, Bunkfuckers! Welcome to another fantastic voyage to the center of conspiracies. (laughs) Andy, you little flyboy. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's what you. they call me. Look at you, you little flyboy with your little aviators and your little uh, leather jacket full of patches. Look at you. I always wear a flight suit and a diaper. <laughs> you got to be ready at a moment's notice. <laughs> that's right. You you frequently get ejected from lots of different places. Yeah, uh, by choice and not by choice. Um, <laughs> I always I ride uh, around in a motorized wheelchair um, that does have an eject button um, and a parachute. So I've smashed through quite a few ceilings and collided with some and not smashed through. Well, when they when they said breaking the glass ceiling, I'm sure they didn't intend for me to you, you fly through the glass ceiling. Oh, I've suffered some head trauma. Oh boy, have neck both. injuries. But hey, speaking of suffering head trauma, today's yeah. topic, Andy, wow. uh, it might make you suffer some head trauma because, boy, it's it's a it's a wild uh, UFO meets you know Air Force meets. Uh, you know, there's airplanes involved and there's UFOs. <laughs> it's, it's I have a, head trauma too. <laughs> it's a trip through the skies. Yeah. Uh and maybe not the friendly skies. Um, but y- yeah, I mean, this will stretch your noodle a bit. We're uncovering the Lichenheath Bent Waters UFO encounter. Indubitably. Indubitably. And uh if you would like to, uh, you know, get in your little airplane and take off right away to get into all this fantastic research. You can do that by looking in the show notes, look in the episode description. You'll find a timestamp. And if you follow the timestamp, you scrub ahead on your audio playing device, you can get right to when the research starts. Because first, 
Well, first of all, Andy, we gotta we gotta talk about who sent in this topic. Yeah, we do. This is a this is a bunk funker suggested uh, topic that we're covering today. That's right. Um, uh, so yeah. yeah, go ahead. Go no, you hey, you do it. You do the honors. Uh, all right. So um, this one uh, came to us uh, via Instagram uh, from our friend Chris D, uh, who is a bunk funker, uh, who says it's Chris with a K. Yeah, Chris with a K, K R I S, not C H R I S. So if you see Chris out there on the internet, I mean, spell the name right. Um, but this is a great topic, Chris. Uh, thanks so much for your kind words and for giving us this topic to look into. It, it's great. Oh, yeah. This is a great one. And uh, Chris sent in a bunch of other uh, wonderful topics as well. Chris is the uh, gift we'll that keeps see. on giving. Chris is the gift that keeps on giving. We had a very, uh, uh, I guess, uh, getting connected with Chris was like Chris Mus for us. <laughs> well, I'm sure that Chris is enjoying a ice cold iron brew while having a delicious uh, plate of vegetarian haggis, which is what I ate almost every morning when I was in Scotland. Andy, did you wow. know that? Wow. Well, I didn't have an iron brew every single day, but I iron brew is very tasty. Mm, well, and I've uh, I famously have never been outside of the country legally. That's, that's so <laughs> um, there's there is an embargo on you from every single other country on the planet. Yeah, little little known uh, clause in the recent uh, trade deals uh, that have been made, um, but I'm not allowed to leave the country anymore. Um, there's a high tariff on me entering foreign lands. No tariff on me being exported, though, but other countries will charge a lot to take me. Even temporarily. That much of a fucking burden. Yeah, even vacationing. They're just like, oh, Christ. Like, if you if you go anywhere, like, the stock market crashes the next day. The market <laughs> yeah. gets very volatile. It's just like, yeah. you're chaos. You're chaos incarnate. It's like, if I land in your country, it's like the... It's like I parachute out of the plane, uh, and my parachute... <laughs> Is the stock market returns for your and country. that's the thing, and they you plummet have to, to the earth with me. Yeah, 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 yeah. They don't want me to be seen at the airports. <laughs> it doesn't make the country a hospitable place. They want people to feel welcome when they, you know, get off the tarmac. Sure. They don't well, want to see uh, me scratching myself and farting in their airport. <laughs> Jesus Christ! In your disgusting, fucking stained sweatpants that I'm sure you wear. Yeah, fucking yeah. disgusting sweatpants wearer. That one polo shirt that I wear every day. <laughs> the only polo shirt that you own. Can't wash it because I wear it every day. Um, <laughs> you know, sticky you fingers from eating gummies. Uh, and also <laughs> covered in like Dorito and Cheeto dust. <laughs> well, and Up also to the elbow. Famously, famously, Andy, you also um, you see in gravy. <laughs> yeah, that's what it looks like to look through your eyes. We uncovered that in right. the Montauk Project episode. Is that looking through your eyes, you see the world like as if it's covered in gravy, right? Yeah. If you, you know, if you've ever, if you've ever had the opportunity to wear those like glasses, that it's like, what's it like if you're drunk? Um, mm -hmm. And it makes everything look all wavy and disoriented. 
Sure. Well, if they'd made those for me, it would just be glasses that are like two two lenses and in between it's just gravy. <laughs> it's full of gravy. Well, Andy, you know, seeing things in gravy kind of relates to uh, our bunker sighting this week, which comes to us from OG Bunkfunker. Uh, I mean, how many accolades can we throw upon this person, you know? <sighs> OG I mean, Bunkfunker, um, singer, songwriter. Um, yeah. If there was musician, if, there, if, if there was a Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy uh, Time award show, um, this Bunkfunker would Definitely be nominated in a lot of categories. That's and true. And li- likely to take home at least a win. Oh, definitely. I mean, that is a... Uh, I-, I would put money on it. This comes to us from C's. Um, and C's sends us this. C says, uh, I got an email from, quote, Bunk Anonymous, end quote, mm-hmm. with the subject line, Bunk Link, which sounds pretty cool, uh, but, you know, familiar. Anyway, the email went along and said, quote, you've been chosen. Bunk link is better dot bunk, which is a URL, I'm assuming. Uh, that's the end of the message. Sees then then continues. Now, I know there's been a lot of scam, you know, going around, but this seemed legit. So I didn't even mind it. I clicked it and got redirected to my home screen with home screen, which auto downloads this app called BunkNet. Once it finished, it auto-popped up the link I clicked. And it led me to a blank white page with a huge black letters, Peon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> At the bottom it yeah. read, Bunklink always been better. And that was it. Until later, I got a second email and it read, look through the junk in your trunk. I may have dropped something. So I go to my trunk, I open it up, and there sits a black box with a red button. I sit in the driver's seat and think whether to press it or not. I press the button, and blam! Gravy exploded all over my vents, covering Uh, the inside of my car and myself. I almost said, oh no, but that's kind of a good thing. (laughs) And on the back of the box, there was a note which read, now you see as Andy sees. That was it. Oh, C says, I'm kind of pissed because I'm still picking gravy out of my ass. And I have a lot of questions for Mr. Bunker. I know it's not official, but I feel like he had something to do with this. Like, what the hell did Bunkling have to do with me? And all that just to cover me in gravy. Yeah. Also, let me know that Bunkling is better than Starlink. He didn't even tell me why. He just stated it. Is that, in fact, is that fact now? Peon Musk has competition. (laughs) Um. Wow. First wow. of all, wow, wow. Uh, That's a hefty one. This is sees. Uh, you got the full bunk experience there. I mean, yeah. Wow. I I'm getting deja vu because that feels like something that could have happened to me. Yeah. I mean, that that could have been a bunker abduction easily. I mean, oh, you oh, you got to no consider question. yourself lucky. No question. Sees. If 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 gravy, gravy. Uh, I mean that is you know is yeah. the worst thing that happened. Yeah. I mean, it's not a bad day. Yeah, I mean that's you know. I mean, I can only imagine that Mr. Count your lucky hijacked stars. your personal electronic device that installed that program. Um, so you, oh yeah, your entire identity is probably compromised at this point. But that, I mean, yeah. gravy in the ass, hmm, not so bad. 
I got gravy well, in my ass almost all the time. <laughs> Coming in, going out. You know, what over. did this have to do? What did this have to do with C's? You know, I, I don't know if we can answer that. I mean, um, you know, Mr. Bunker works in mysterious ways. Yeah. Uh, and by that, I mean that his goals are beyond our understanding mm-hmm. because frankly, I don't know that they make sense logically. Um, so why now, you sees, I mean, Mr. Bunker has, has a recent history of, of targeting, uh, people who are, uh, fans, um, and roping them into these, uh, these wacky scenarios. He's kind of a jokester. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, he's been to space. He was in space mm-hmm. during the quarantine. He was up on the ISS space station. Mm-hmm. And, it's kind of uh, redundant. You could have just said the ISS. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever, gravy boy. Uh, <laughs> hey, who told you my high school nickname? <laughs> you know, what is this? I mean, Peon Musk, obviously, maybe maybe that's what he's doing with this Sasquatch, is this Sasquatch oh. uh, taxidermy thing. He's trying to yeah. bring it to life. And make it into a Elon Musk competitor called Peon Musk. Wow. Um, Hadn't even thought about this, but yeah. Well, and you know, obviously he's trying to compete with Starlink, which is um, satellite internet access from SpaceX, which is, you know, an Elon Musk project. So, see, this is, I didn't know about that. So, well, yeah, I mean, he's got Bunk Link, which, you know, obviously he's probably still working out the kinks with Bunk Link. And, it seems like he's got the code for, you know, shooting gravy out of your fucking car's <laughs> exhaust vents down. Yeah, did Elon Musk think of that? No. Doubt it. Doubtful. Doubt it. Highly doubtful. I mean, Peon Musk, on the other hand, you know. Peon uh, Musk. Wow. You know, I hadn't thought about the possibility that uh, that Bunker was going to reanimate the Sasquatch that he murdered in order to make it a corporate figurehead. Uh, for yeah. his new technology venture. Wow. You know, the thing about Bunker is he's very successful in certain areas. He is, of course, OG listeners will know that in the very first episode, we described how Bunker is bashful. He's a bashful man. He yeah. uh, doesn't like to appear in public. He gets uh, very uh, bashful. His rosy cheeks get all red, and he... Uh, twirls his little finger in his cheek and goes oh i can't do it not me you know he does his widow foot into the ground he does that thing like goofy where he twists both his the front and the back of his head in different directions around his fingers he's 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 a little sweetie he's bashful He's he's a bashful guy and so it makes sense that he would be using this reanimated sasquatch corpse as the figurehead for his new company. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, when he's going to get it up and when he's going to get it working. It's kind of like, you know, I think it, it's, I think Tesla's going to see some big competition. I mean, we're going to have Bunk, Bunkla, and we're going to have, you know, these self-driving bunker cars. Uh, I wouldn't get in one. I wouldn't drive one and I wouldn't own one. I'm telling you, bunk funkers, if you're listening, don't buy Bunkla. (laughs) And, you know, famously, uh, Tesla has all these funny gimmicks into the car. Like you can make the car fart. There's like a Whoopi Cushion app. There's a Whoopi Goldberg app. There's, uh, 
There's a, a whoopie, whoopie pie app. app. You can have sex yeah. with a car. <laughs> you can have sex with a car. There's a whoopie app. Making whoopie app. Um, <laughs> Making whoopie. What are you? Like Sorry. 45 years old? Yeah, I grew up in the 50s. Um, <laughs> but uh, it seems like, you know, Bunker, Bunker before driving, creating the self-driving car technology, is starting from the goofy app part of yeah. the tesla like yeah. he's like all right we got it we got shooting gravy out of the car down <laughs> well you know figure that that out and an electric car really builds itself around it i mean so, that's you any I'm anybody kinda, any chump could build an electric car i'm kind of feeling bad for the peon musk sasquatch yeah. now because you know bunker is just like all right go figure out the self-driving car part and that sasquatch is probably like <laughs> <laughs> he's just he's probably pretty pissed you know you know in a lot of ways mr bunker is like carol spinney uh the the puppeteer who was big bird and oscar the grouch um except instead of an elaborate um human covering puppet costume um mr bunker has a the reanimated flesh of a dead sasquatch that's right and Andy, isn't that true that a lot of people confused you for Snuffleupagus? Yeah, that's true. Because, um, you know, Snuff, Snuffy originally started as uh, a character, like an imaginary friend of Big Bird's. Um, right. And people always hope when they meet me that I'm imaginary, that they're suffering some sort of uh, <laughs> mental health crisis, and that's why they're seeing me and that I'm not real. Um, <laughs> so it's pretty jarring when they find out that, no, I'm a flesh and blood human. Oh, boy. It's jarring for all of us. We all and have piss to piss and come and shit. Okay. All right. All the humors. <laughs> yeah. All the famous humors. <laughs> the four humors. Blood, cum, piss, and shit. <laughs> <laughs> the Greeks. Just like the ancient Aristotle. Greeks, baby. <laughs> well, obviously you got bad cum. That's why you're <laughs> that's why you have all these red splotches all over your skin. You need a leech to suck that out. Yeah, we'll get a couple leeches on your dick, and uh, we'll get you good as gr- good as gravy. Good as gravy. Watch it spew out of this chariot. <laughs> All right, have a complimentary grape leaf on the way out. Yeah, you can use that to cover it. your genitals. <laughs> I mean, you could just wear clothes, but you could also wear the grape leaf. Ah, we're the Greeks. It's all Greek to me, baby. Hey, I need a euro. <laughs> <laughs> all right, C's. Thank you for sending that bunker setting in. I mean, I'm sorry that you got gravy all over your ass, dude, but um, yeah. it just seems like, you know, uh, that, you know, you were unfortunately a bit of a guinea pig for mm-hmm. Bunkla. Yeah. And this bunker, new bunker program, offshoot of bunk tech technology. Not everything can be as perfect as our next piece of bunk tech technology, right, Andy? Yeah, yeah. I mean, sees. I imagine that you were part of some uh, Gonzo consumer focus group. Uh, so please uh, give uh, give Bunkla your feedback because <laughs> yeah, they need to I mean, help improve their product offerings. And and if and if you're ever a part of any like Kermit the Frog uh, marketing schemes or Miss Piggy marketing schemes. <laughs> Uh, so make many, sure you give feedback on those two. So many Muppets in this episode already. There's a lot of Muppets. A lot of Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a British episode. Yeah. And, uh, this is a British topic, yeah. so. Yeah. 
Um, but sees, unfortunately, not every piece of bunk tech technology can be as good as this next piece of bunk tech no, technology, no. which is the bunker alarm. The bunker alarm. The bunker alarm is uh, top notch. Um, one of the most expensive pieces of technology on the earth, uh, but also one of the most sophisticated. It allows uh, users such as Art and myself to play a, an alarm uh, perfectly synced. Um, in order yeah. to honor uh, a bunk funker or bunk funkers. That's right. And that's the case this week, right, Andy? Is we're uh, we're going to give a little shout out. The bunker alarm is how we give a little shout out to um, two bunk funkers this week. Long time uh, listener and long time mm-hmm. follower and liker of Instagram posts and commenter mm-hmm. of Instagram posts. It's Bop842. Bop. Bop. B-O-P. Bop. 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 Mm. I want to know the origin of bop. Mm. Is it bop? Bop. Bop. Eight, four, bop two. Mm. Bop. Eight, four, two. Shibba-da-bop. Thank you, Bop. And Thanks, bop. we're also doing a bunker alarm, bunker alarm duo <gasps> for Chris with a K, D. Chris. <laughs> Chris with a K, D with a D. Um, for sending in the episode today and so many other episodes and sending such a nice, lovely message to us. Chris, we hope you're doing well Yeah, uh, out there in your line of work. And um, thanks for sending that in. And Bop, thanks for being a loyal listener. So, um, yes. Andy, Thank do you, you do both. You have any, do you have a fun, maybe Bop or Chris-themed uh <laughs> Bunk alarm uh, in the uh, catalog. Uh. Uh, let me see what I can uh, what I can cook up here, Art. Go on um, there in the bunker database boop, and boop, uh, boop, do a couple of queries boop, for. Uh, oh, Andy's querying. Here we go. Oh, here we go. Oh, here we go. Yeah, that'll work. Okay, it's ready. Um, all right, so I will uh, I will give the customary countdown. I mean, the bu- the bunker alarm three thousand doesn't need a countdown, but um, it's really more Art and I like the countdown. Makes us feel yeah. like we have jobs at NASA. Oh yeah, and yeah. that's what we like to do. That's we like we to wear uh, fun little white shirts and skinny black ties and thick rimmed yeah. horn glasses, and we like to say things like Houston. We call everybody Houston. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, we have prop pocket protectors. I have 18 pins in my shirt right now. <laughs> yeah. Ink bleeding all the way down the, the shirt. I mean, these pens are not capped. Uh, I have a calculator in every pocket and <laughs> the, thickness. I've got watches going up and down my wrists. I need to know the time in every time zone. And, uh, my glasses, let me tell you, they should go to a hospital because they've got the thickness they're down with the thickness. Ooh, ah, ah. Ooh, ah, ah. Bifocals. So, uh, okay, let's do a quick countdown, and then we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll uh, set off the bunker alarm uh, for Alrighty. Chris D and Bop eight four two three two one. Bop 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 Bop, 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 bop,
Bop. 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 Wow. Wow. What what an amazing piece of technology. And that was beautifully synced. Yeah, that was truly one of the more synced uh, things I've ever experienced in my life. True that. And, uh, you know, thank you again to Chris and Bop. And... (laughs) Chris and Bob, thank you again for, you know, being loyal bunk fuckers. It's a, hey, it's a little way for us to give you a little shout out. Chris and Bob, uh, I love that uh, that uh, Kevin Smith movie. <laughs> that one went over my head, but uh, I don't know. I like it. I don't know. It's like, don't know. It's like Jay and Silent Bob. Oh, okay. Uh, all right. A bit of a stretch, Andy, but I'll give it to you. I'll give you okay. points. Points for Andy. Thank you. I'm winning this episode. Um, if you would like to, you know, receive a bunker alarm in any way, shape, or form, all you really got to do is email us and ask. And if you would like to send in a bunker alarm for us to play for a lucky bunk funker, maybe even yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if you are, even if you're not good with audio technology and you just want to like take some different recordings and splice together a fun little drop. Well, we'll drop it in there and we'll drop it into the Bunk Tech 3000 and it'll play it's perfectly synced for you. Yeah. So um, that's that. And, you know, Andy, we're you know, we're not delayed, but we got to make a flight. <laughs> yeah, we're uh, we're uh, they're scrambling us. We're we're a couple of yeah. eggs and we're getting scrambled. That's right. Because we have to head right over to uh, Enchiladaville. <laughs> <laughs> to give you bunk fuckers, we got to deliver. Yeah, we got to deliver one thousand tons of the whole enchilada for all those hungry bunk fuckers out there on the oh, yeah. Lake and Heath Bentwaters UFO. Yeah, that's Cheerio. true. <laughs> Bombs away. Get your suitcase, Artie. We're hopping across the pond and traveling back in time today. Ooh, goody! We're chimney sweeps, we is. Claim your chimney, mish. Only five pence. Use your loaf and buy me services, or me trouble will throw me down down the apples again. Chim chimney, chim chimney, chim chim tree. We're not going to be 19th century cockney chimney sweeps, Art. We're going back to the 1950s, to the English countryside, and we're hunting UFOs. Ooh, extraterrestrials? Ooh, goody! Hello, love. Sweep your hyperspace manifold, miss. Only five pence, it's true. No pokies here. I even throw in a gravity emitter polish. Come on, governor. I've got to pay me Duke of Kent. I'll be out on me kibber. <laughs> Kyber. Okay. I don't know. Whatever it is. All right, then. I guess we're chimney sweeps today. Or shoulder Batman. <laughs> anyway, moving on. <laughs> today, we're checking out a series of radar hits by and visual contacts with UFOs near the UK Royal Air Force bases at Bentwaters and Lakenheath 
both in Suffolk, England. So this is in the east of England. Uh, interestingly, Suffolk is home to Rendlesham Forest, the site of another UFO encounter, which is maybe Britain's most famous. So while the Lake and Heath Bentwaters incident may not get all the headlines and centerfold spreads, if you put this encounter in the passenger seat of your Corvette and stopped by the gas station, you can bet the old man working at the gas station would tell you a creepy story about how he used to fuck a UFO encounter that looked just like Lake and Heath Bentwaters. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, not even a little bit, Andy. Hmm. But anyway, <laughs> the Lake hmm. and Heath Bentwaters in- incident story has um, some differing details depending on you know who's telling it. But hey, since, when, since we're telling it, we're giving you the whole enchilada. <laughs> we'll get into all the differing details, though. But let's start with uh, what you might call the original, quote-unquote, version of events, which comes from technical, technical Sergeant Forrest Perkins. Now, Perkins was the watch supervisor at the Lake and Heath Radar Air Traffic Control Center. And, you know, a quick historical note is Tech Sergeant Perkins... Uh, served with the United States Air Force, not the British Royal Air Force. Oh, yes. <laughs> I've been waiting for this. Oh, no. All right, bunk funkers, you're probably saying to yourselves, but why were Americans at a Royal Air Force base? Well, put on your flight suits and let's take to the skies with the history hog and pork forced one. Yeah! <laughs> God. So the British Royal Air Force, or RAF, opened Lake and Heath in 1947 just in time to miss the end of World War II by more than a year. I joke, but during the war, Lake and Heath was set up as a decoy airfield to get the Nazis to attack it instead of actual airfields. And it worked. So, logically, if you find a spot enemies like to attack, you build a base there. Sun Tzu said that, I think. So anyway, RAF Lake and Heath opened in 1947, but even by 1948, pushy Americans already wanted the base for themselves. So typical. The United States Air Force, or USAF, sent a group of B-29s, which were heavy bomber planes, to take up residence at Lake and Heath. This was meant to put a fright into the Soviets who were threatening European expansion. This was the Cold War, after all, don't you know? The USAF took administrative control of the base, continuing to add fighter and bomber wings, personnel, U-2 spy planes briefly, and eventually even became home to good old-fashioned American nuclear weapons, made with pride in the USA. In fact, in July 1956, only a few weeks before the Lake and Heath Bentwaters incident, a bomber plane crashed into a storage site for some of the nuclear arsenal at Lake and Heath, though the nuclear materials weren't in the bombs at the time. But the bombs were still full of explosives. Luckily, the crash and flaming fuel did not ignite the bombs. Today, RAF Lake and Heath is still under American management and is home to the 48th Fighter Wing, Europe's only F-15 Fighter Wing. Do you feel better now? Oh, God. That felt so good. Oink, oink. (sighs) Dear God. So back to this story, all right? Tech Sergeant uh, Forrest Perkins was the watch supervisor for Lake and Heath Air Traffic Control. Perkins' story comes to us from a letter he wrote to the Condon Committee, which is the name that gets uh, used for a USAF-funded University of Colorado project to review the files of civilian UFO research groups 
as well as those of the USAF's Project Blue Book, the official U.S. government study into UFOs. Now, the content committee became aware of Perkins' story when Perkins mailed an unsolicited letter to the committee in 1968. In his letter, Perkins details his experience in 1956, though Perkins says he can't remember the exact date. But, you know, this was 12 years after the fact, so give the guy a break, bunkfuckers. Come on. So anyway, Perkins says he was on duty the night of the incident, working the 5 p.m. to midnight shift. He got a call from RAF Bentwaters, an Air Force base also in Suffolk, but closer to the coast and to Rendlesham Forest. Oink, oink, wee, wee! RAF Bentwaters also was also occupied by the USAF in 1956 and continued to be until 1993 when the base closed. It's now home to the Bentwaters Cold War Museum. Thank you, History Hog. Now please go back to your pen. So Forrest Perkins said in his letter that he got a call from RAF Bentwaters. It was a radar operator asking if RAF Lakenheath radars were picking up any targets traveling at 4,000 miles per hour or 6,437 kilometers per hour. Now, that's pretty fast for an aircraft, especially in 1956. Beloved Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time guest, Chuck Yeager, uh, fastest man alive, Chuck Yeager, had, and also lover of the uh, Golden Eagle, the yeah. demon car, <laughs> right. Chuck Yeager, right. had only broken the sound barrier nine years before, traveling nearly 900 miles per hour, which is 1,434 kilometers per hour. In fact, earlier in 1956, Peter Twiss set a new flight speed record in the UK, traveling at 1,132 miles per hour, 1,000 822 kilometers per hour. Even with Twist's achievement, something traveling at 4,000 miles per hour would have to be really strange. According to Perkins, Bentwaters said they'd been watching this target move from east to west as it traveled directly over Bentwaters. Bentwaters told Perkins they had physically seen the target, which looked like a blurry light. The tower also reported that a C-47 airplane flying over Bentwaters at 5,000 feet, or 1,524 meters, also spotted a blurry light traveling under the plane. Perkins said that the radar at Lakenheath was using MTI, or Moving Target Indication, which is used to filter out radar hits for things that, you know, aren't moving, like trees, hills, or commonly sleeping rhinoceroses, which are, you know, there's tons of them all over Britain. Yeah, all over the countryside. Despite this, Perkins said one radar operator at Lakenheath found a stationary target to the southwest of the base. Other radar operators at Lakenheath confirmed the target at the same location. While they were watching, the target suddenly started moving at what Perkins describes as 400 to 600 miles per hour, 644 to 966 kilometers per hour, until it was approximately the same distance away from the base. But this time, to the northwest. Perkins said that the target did not accelerate. It just started going. Perkins wrote, There was no slow start or buildup to this speed. It was constant from the second it started to move till it stopped. Up to this point, Perkins said he hadn't informed anybody else of the target. 
assuming that the reports from Bentwaters were some kind of mistake. After seeing this strange movement, Perkins started making some calls, getting commanding officers involved. Perkins said the radar team continued to monitor the target, watching it continue this activity of staying stationary for anywhere from 3 to 6 minutes or 18 to 36 decaseconds for you metric heads, then suddenly moving rapidly at a constant speed to another location. After what Perkins estimated was 30 to 45 minutes, two RAF aircraft were scrambled to intercept the target. Perkins said the first RAF plane took off and established contact with Lakenheath. Lakenheath Air Traffic Control directed the RAF plane toward the target, estimating the target's altitude to be above 15,000 feet, which is 4,572 meters, but below 20,000 feet or 6,096 meters. Based on the way, this was based on the way the radar operates. Uh, They also relayed the C-47 pilot's story, basically telling the intercepting pilot that this thing could be pretty hard to find. As the intercepting pilot got to about half a mile, or eight-tenths of a kilometer from the target, surprisingly, the pilot told the control tower, quote, Roger, I've got my guns locked on him, end quote. Then he paused and said, quote, where did he go? Do you still have him? End quote. The control tower told the pilot that now the target was behind the RAF aircraft and that now there were two targets, one very closely behind the other, moving the exact same speed. Based on the way the radar operates, Perkins estimated the two targets were likely 200 to 600 feet or 322 to 966 meters away from each other, any closer, and they would have showed up as only one hit on the radar. The initial move by the targets to get behind the intercepting RAF plane were so fast that Perkins didn't see it himself on the radar, though other operators confirmed having seen it. The intercepting pilot decided to take evasive maneuvers to get away from the targets. The targets stayed right behind the RAF plane, regardless of what it tried to shake them. This went on for about 10 minutes, during which Perkins said the pilot started to sound, quote, worried, excited, and also pretty scared, end quote. The pilot then said the plane was low on fuel, so it headed back to base. The target stopped tailing the plane and stayed stationary. The pilot passed along, uh, passed this along to a second intercepting pilot who had likely just taken off. After a brief radio exchange between the two intercepting pilots, but before Lakenheath could establish the second intercepting RAF flight on radar, the second pilot radioed in to say he was flying back to base due to an engine malfunction. Or maybe he just didn't want to tangle with that UFO. Well, with these interceptions attempted, Perkins said that the USAF commanding officers instructed the radar and air traffic control folks to just keep an eye on the target. They observed the target, uh, you know, make a couple more moves. Then it left Lakenheath's radar coverage. All the while, the target moved at the same constant speed observed earlier. Perkins said he made a detailed written report on the incident for the USAF officers at Lakenheath, but never heard anything more about it. Well, Perkins might not have heard any anything more, but the USAF was paying attention. After, Giddings per, after getting Perkins' letter, the Condon Committee started to investigate. Fortunately, the letter, you know, came late in the project timeline, so the only thing the committee could do was check to see if they could get more information from Project Blue Book, which they were able to do. Turns out the Project Blue Book files pretty much agreed with the account given by Perkins. 
Sure, the Blue Book files listed the C-47 that spotted the target as a little bit lower in altitude than Perkins remembered. And Perkins referred to Bentwaters by the name of another RAF airbase, which, you know, we corrected in our retelling of Perkins's retelling. But the basic story was the same. The Blue Book files did have some details that Perkins didn't include in his letter, likely because they were details he didn't know or were things he just didn't recall. Things like what eyewitnesses said at RAF Bentwaters. Witnesses on the ground actually saw the target as it zoomed over the base. They described the target as a round white light, about the size of a golf ball, shrinking to a pinpoint as it traveled on. Is this entire encounter possibly the work of a time-traveling John Daly ripping the shit out of some Dunlops across the British Isles? Wow. Maybe. Grip it and rip it, baby. Woo! Hey, by the way, Bunk Funkers, did you know that John Daly has released multiple country music albums? It's true. And I'll tell you, there are a lot of references to his failed marriages in those songs. Check it out. Anyway, the other observers on the ground reported seeing two lights joining together and flying around together. Cute. Aw. Those on the ground also reported the same movements as reported by Perkins. Aside from the witnesses on the ground at Bentwaters, the Blue Book files also included some more information about the date and conditions during the event. The date was August 13th, 1956. Bentwaters first noticed something on the radar at approximately 10.55 p.m., Blue Book revealed that it was a clear night with good visibility. Interestingly, Blue Book noted that the sky was clear until 3 a.m. on the 14th of August when clouds appeared. All the radar targets disappeared by about 3.30 a.m. on the 14th. Coincidence? Well, we'll see. Observers on the ground reported an unusual number of shooting stars in the sky that night because the Perseid meteor shower was happening that night. But observers indicated what they saw were not shooting stars. The Blue Book files identified the intercepting planes as de Havilland Venom jets. Uh, ultimately, Blue Book said, quote, The sightings were real and not figments of the imagination. The fact that three radar sets picked up the targets simultaneously is certainly conclusive that a target or object was in the air. The maneuvers of the object were extraordinary. However, the fact that radar and ground visual observations were made on its rapid acceleration and abrupt stops certainly lend credence to the report. It is not believed these sightings were of any meteorological or astronomical origin. End quote. The Condon Committee research provided even a little bit more detail, mainly that RAF Bentwaters identified three radar targets at about 9.30 p.m. on August 13th, so this was earlier than the target that begins the Blue Book account. An USAF T-33 jet attempted to intercept the targets, but was not successful, ending its pursuit at 10.15 p.m. In the end, the Condon Committee kind of reached the same conclusion as Blue Book, and maybe even went a bit further, which is surprising considering that the committee overall said that studying UFOs was not a worthwhile pursuit. Of the Lake and Heath Bentwaters incident, though, the committee said this, quote, In conclusion... Although conventional or natural explanations cannot certainly cannot be ruled out, the probability of such seems low in this case, and the probability that at least one genuine UFO was involved appears to be fairly high. End quote. 
Additional research by UFO researcher James McDonald provided some more details about the incident. The 9.30 p.m. radar target noticed by RAF Bentwaters was, which was reported as traveling at 4,000 miles per hour, again, that's 6,437 kilometers per hour, may have been traveling as fast as 10,800 miles per hour, which uh, will convert is 17,381 kilometers per hour. Now, this is based on an egghead like James McDonald doing the, the, the math based on the descriptions in the Condon slash Blue Book report. At approximately 9.35 p.m., Bentwater's radar picked up 12 to 15 targets traveling slowly together. Eventually, all these targets merged together on the radar, creating a signal, quote, several times larger than a B-36 return under comparable conditions, end quote. Now, if you don't know, the B-36 peacemaker peacemaker, uh, was a great big USAF bomber. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? which had the longest wingspan of any combat aircraft ever built. The huge radar target stopped for a while, then moved a little bit, stopped again, and then went off the radar screens. The large target moved faster than the smaller individual targets had. Then at 10 p.m., another target, another radar target was identified by Bentwaters, which was only visible for about 16 seconds, suggesting that its true speed was something like 12,000 miles per hour or 19,312 kilometers per hour. Of course, there's the 1055 target, um, 1055 p.m. obviously target, which led Bentwaters to call Lakenheath. But the path of the target at 10 p.m. was essentially the same as the one at 1055 p.m. So it's possible that this was the same event just listed at different times in different sources, owing to confusion. At any rate, there was a lot of activity in the skies above Suffolk. <laughs> oh. oh, baby. Now, in the 1970s, another witness to the Lake and Heath Bentwaters incident came forward in response to a skeptical take on the events written by Ian Ridpath, an astronomer and UFO skeptic. The witness was Freddie Wimbledon, who was the chief controller on duty at the radar station at RAF Neatstead, uh, by the way, Neatstead is apparently the traditional pronunciation of uh, Neatstead, but the RAF, uh, however, pronounces it Neatishead. Uh, we might use either. Uh, depends on how we're feeling. At any rate, Neatstead is in Norfolk, just north of Suffolk. You get it. The North Folk live in Norfolk and the South Folk live in Suffolk. It makes sense if you're an angle. You know, frankly, Andy, you're being obtuse. (laughs) That's a good geometry joke, but also a good wake-up call for me to work on my obnoxiously dense personality. (laughs) Spoiler alert, I'm not gonna. Anyway, Freddie Wimbledon was the chief controller on duty at RAF Neatstead the night of the Lake and Heath Bentwaters incident. Wimbledon said his job was to monitor the radar and scramble planes to intercept targets as necessary. According to Wimbledon, the night of the incident, he got a call from Lake and Heath about the anomalous radar targets. Wimbledon said that he was the one who sent the Venom fighter to intercept and that he and the crew at Neatstead directed the plane to the target, not Perkins and the team at Lake and Heath. In fact, Wimbledon claims that Lake and Heath never even spoke to the intercepting Venom pilots, rather that Lake and Heath was only listening in. 
Wimbledon said the pilot reported reported back that he established radar visual of the target, but after closing in on the target, it suddenly was behind the aircraft, which was witnessed on the radar screens at Neatstead as well. In response, Wimbledon scrambled another Venom and directed it toward the target. But before the second Venom could arrive, the target disappeared from the Neatstead radar, never to reappear that night. Further, in opposition to the Perkins Blue Book account, Wimbledon says the first Venom pilot never locked on to the target. Wimbledon even said the type of Venom scrambled, the uh, two-seater variety, did not have this capability. According to Wimbledon, it's unlikely that the pilot could even have seen the Venom's radar screen because of where it's positioned inside the plane. While some of the discrepancies Wimbledon credited to simple misunderstandings of Queen's English and slang... Overall, he found the Perkins Blue Book retelling of the events to be, quote, 90% fiction and 10% fact, end quote. Wimbledon's account renewed interest in the incident, even leading to another witness to come forward with an account. John Killock wrote to the Daily Express to make the claim that he was a witness to something strange in August in 1956 at Ely, a city in Cambridgeshire, a county immediately to the west of Suffolk and Norfolk. Killick said he saw the single he saw a single fast-moving white light and a venom plane fly overhead, followed by a group of amber-colored lights. These accounts, which introduced new and con- contradictory information, led to researchers taking a more critical look at the Lake and Heath Bentwaters incident, which uncovered even more information. Specifically, we're going to reference a retelling of the, of the incident put together by Dr. David Clark, who is a professor, a journalist, and a folklorist. Now, Dr. Clark's version of the events draws on the information we've already discussed, as well as interviews with other personnel involved in the incident and additional uncovered documents. One thing researchers discovered is that RAF documentation on the incident is limited. In 1956, the incident was treated with extreme secrecy given the, you know, Cold War atmosphere and the fact that Lakenheath was an important base for USAF efforts in Europe. As we mentioned, there were nuclear weapons on site, which was, uh, you know, making it makes it a very sensitive area. So when the incident finally came into public light with the Condon Committee report, it was found that the British Air Ministry had destroyed most of its records related to the incident as part of an old record purging. Uh, Based on the information available, here's the version of events reconstructed by Clark. At 9.30 p.m., RAF Bentwaters radar identified one fast-moving target and a group of slow-moving targets. Okay, so we're off to a good start. We got some targets. They're moving. So far, this pretty much agrees with what we've already discussed. In response to these radar hits, the RAF scrambled a Venom jet from RAF Waterbeach, which is an uh, airbase near Cambridge in Cambridgeshire. So again, this is to the west of Suffolk. Yet another RAF, RAF base for us to think about. <laughs> so a lot of RAF lot bases, of bases to keep track of. Yeah. Um, soon after the Venom took off, it lost a fuel tank on one of its wings. So it had to return to Waterbeach. Clark's research indicates this pilot was likely RAF Airman Graham Schofield. Um, Clark also speculates that this incident could explain what John Killock saw at Ely. Since the Venom couldn't intercept, the USAF sent two 
T-33 jets to investigate. These jets were already in the air doing a training exercise. Dr. Clark spoke to one of the T-33 pilots, Charles Metz, who was stationed at Bentwaters from 1955 to 1957 with the USAF 512th Fighter Interceptor Squadron. Metz reported that UFO encounters were rather commonplace at Bentwaters, recalling multiple instances where, quote, glowing balls of light, end quote, were floating around the control tower at Bentwaters. According to Metz, these sightings happened on clear, damp nights with light fog in the air. After mentioning the experiences to his landlord, Metz said his landlord told him locals had experienced seeing the same lights only on damp, foggy nights. The landlord claimed the lights were caused by the reflection of car headlights. Metz claimed the airmen at Bentwaters tested the hypothesis and found it to be true. So we got a real Marfa lights situation here. Check out our episode on the Marfa lights. Yeah. <laughs> right now, pause this one and go listen to that <laughs> Shameless <one>. plug. <laughs> um, Metz related another incident at Bentwaters where he piloted an F-86 jet to intercept a weird light near the base. Metz said he lost his target during the ascent, but when the jet broke through a layer of low visibility, he discovered the light he was seeing was only a star. After checking things above Suffolk out on uh, August 13th, 1956, Metz said that he and his fellow T-33 pilot, Andrew Rowe, didn't see anything. Lacking any solid contacts during the incident and considering his other experiences, Metz was led to conclude that the Lake and Heath Bentwaters incident, well, was probably caused by natural atmospheric phenomenon. After these events, Clark's reconstruction pretty much agrees with the established story. A really fast light flew over Bentwaters, which was also spotted flying under a C-47. This led Bentwaters to call Lakenheath, where Forrest Perkins and crew spotted the radar targets we've already mentioned. Perkins alerted commanding officers, who then contacted RAF Fighter Command. While this agrees with the account of Forrest Perkins, we'll soon see that Clark also incorporates elements of Freddie Wimbledon's account, while also introducing a new wrinkle. Woo, clearly this is one fucking confusing night. Woo, you aren't kidding. So, about midnight on the 14th, Freddie Wimbledon spotted some strange targets on the RAF Neatstead radar screens. Wimbledon made arrangements for a four-man crew to intercept the targets. While that was happening, RAF Fighter Command ordered a Venom jet to launch from RAF Waterbeach to investigate. Waterbeach's squadron leader, Anthony Davis, was already in the air in a Venom, so he was directed to head toward Lakenheath. Clark believes that the pilot of the intercepting Venom, by the way, Clark used Freddie Wimbledon's version of the interception attempt, was none other than Anthony Davis. Clark uncovered a written account of the incident made by Davis, who eventually became a civilian Ministry of Defense employee responsible for UFO report analysis. Interestingly enough, Davis claimed he was indeed already in the air in a Venom, which had been launched from RAF Coltsol, an airbase in Norfolk. So... Yet another airbase. Davis said he was directed toward a toward quote a suspected UFO end quote by a radar operator, which Clark presumed was Freddie Wimbledon. Davis said that his radar operator, uh, the one aboard the Venom in the plane with him, could not make contact with the target, which left them quote chasing a star end quote. 
In Clark's recounting, Wimbledon described the target as behaving like it accomplished whatever it was trying to do and then, quote unquote, melted off the radar screens. Despite this, Wimbledon maintained the target was a solid object based on the quality of the radar hit. While all this was happening, Forrest Perkins and team were listening at Lake and Heath. Uh, RAF's 23 squadron were also listening in at Waterbeach. One of the Waterbeach airmen was none other than Graham Schofield, who had returned to base by this time. According to Schofield, quote, The first crew made radar contact and closed rapidly onto the target. They tracked it down to within about three miles and then lost contact. They were called off and the second crew instructed to make an intercept. They also reported radar contact at about 10 miles directly ahead. The navigator called off the distance as the target rapidly closed. At one mile, there was a shout of confusion from the pilot who had seen nothing. We then heard, I think they are now on our tail. End quote. After these events, which is kind of where Perkins's and Wimbledon's stories end, Lake and Heath continued to get radar hits from UFOs. This agrees with the traditional research done by James McDonald. In response, the RAF scrambled more Venoms from Waterbeach to intercept these additional targets. Clark and team tracked down two of the crews who took part in this mission, John Brady and Ivan Logan, the Venom's navigators. Brady was aboard a Venom scrabbled at 2 a.m. on the 14th and said he and his pilot, Dave Chambers, were directed uh, toward the target by USF, USAF airmen at Lakenheath. Lakenheath had to direct the crew because the targets were below Nietzsche's radar horizon. Um, here's Brady's retelling of the next part of the story. Quote, The USAF were directing us towards this thing at around 7,000 feet. The first, one, the first run we had at it, I saw nothing. The next time we returned onto a reciprocal uh, heading and I obtained a contact, which I held uh, 10 to 15 degrees off dead ahead. And notice that it raced down the tube at high speed. We were flying at around 350 to 400 miles per hour. I remember saying to David, contact, there, it's out, 45 starboard, starboard, now at one mile. And he kept saying to me, where is it, where is it, I can't see it, as we rushed past. And it would go down the right-hand side, or the left-hand side, two further runs, and uh, we made with the same result, and it was fairly obvious that whatever it was, it was stationary. David looked out on each run, but we could see nothing. My radar contact was firm, but messy. But there was something there. End quote. Brady clarified that even though he said he made contact, quote unquote, uh, quote, never at any stage was there a visual sighting since there was nothing to be seen, end quote. Brady believed the target was probably a weather balloon since that was the only thing that made sense to him. This conclusion was also officially reached by 23 Squadron. Brady and Chambers headed back to Waterbeach and were then told uh, a second Venom and crew was on the way. Ivan Logan was manning the radar in the second Venom with Ivan Fraser Kerr uh, in the pilot seat. Logan and Fraser Kerr had a similar experience to Brady and Chambers returning back to Waterbeach after 3 a.m., on the 14th. Not long after they got back to Waterbeach, the target on Lake and Heath's radars melted away. As soon as, um, as was noted in the Condon Committee report, the target's disappearance co coincided 
with an onset of clouds covering what had been a clear sky. After the incident, the USAF was considerably concerned. Clark's research showed that the Air Force was afraid the UFOs were actually Soviet-guided missiles. Because of the destruction of RAF and UK Air Ministry documents, Clark was unable to uncover what the British government's opinion was of the incident. And that's the story. Wow. Bunk Funkers, that was a meaty whole enchilada. As you can no doubt tell from the various versions of the story, there were a lot of things going on that night and plenty of confusion, even in just the retellings of people who were involved. Despite the differing accounts, this is still a very compelling UFO case, even today. Now, typical skeptical explanations for UFO experiences like what happened at Lake and Heath Bentwaters are things like atmospheric anomalies, mistaking natural phenomena like meteor showers, to just plain old hoaxes. In this case, not many people find those explanations exactly compelling. The Condon Committee considered the possibility that the incident was caused by anomalous propagation, which is a popular skeptical hypothesis explanation for this incident. Anomalous propagation is a very egg-heady phenomenon, which describes how radio waves change shape as they travel through different atmospheric conditions. In radar, this can lead to false hits. One of the Condon Committee members, Gordon Thayer, felt that anomalous propagation could only reasonably explain one sighting during the incident, uh, which is the group of targets spotted by Bentwaters, which then merged into one big target. As a note, Thayer's analysis of the radar information in the case during the Condon Committee led him to this conclusion, quote, In summary, this is the most puzzling and unusual case in the radar visual files. The apparently rational intelligent behavior of the UFO suggests a mechanical device of unknown origin as the most probable explanation of this sighting. However, in view of the inevitable fallibility of witnesses, more conventional explanations of this report cannot be entirely ruled out. End quote. Another skeptical hypothesis is that the incident was caused by radar malfunction. Maybe a problem with the MTI was causing these targets to appear. If the MTI was malfunctioning, though, it seems likely that there would be stationary targets visible stationary targets visible only, not rapidly moving targets or targets that move quickly, then stop, then move, then stop. Another factor against radar malfunction is the number of different radar systems that track these objects. From Bentwaters to Lakenheath to Neatstead to the radars aboard the Venoms, could this many radar systems have malfunctioned all at the same time? We've already mentioned that the Perseid meteor shower was happening overnight, and the weather was clear until 3 a.m. on the 14th. Is it possible that people were just seeing the meteor shower really clearly and mistaking these for UFOs? Well, it seems unlikely, frankly. Witnesses distinctly observed the meteor shower and also distinctly observed the UFOs. If the UFOs were really just meteors, how would eyewitnesses have distinguished the two to begin with? What really happened overnight on August 13th and 14th in East Anglia? Did RAF and the USAF airmen identify legitimate extraterrestrial craft as they flew near military installations? Was this some sort of advanced technology deployed by the Soviet Union to, to intimidate the USA and UK? Maybe all this activity was related to one crazy night of radar malfunctions 
which led to a bunch of confused witnesses. Or perhaps it was just mundane astronomical occurrences misconstrued by people living through the Cold War, fearful of the lingering threat of nuclear annihilation. Whatever you think about the Lake and Heath Bentwaters incident, we can all agree on this. That tube-shaped object flying towards you at 767 miles per hour is, without a doubt, the whole enchilada. Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast will be right back after this brief message. Hey, Bunk Funkers! This is Andy, and I'm here with my co-host, your co-host, Art. Uh, And we're coming at you today to let you know that we launched a Patreon. Uh, So if you have the means and you want to support the show, Come visit us at patreon.com slash MrBunkerPod and consider becoming a subscriber. Get an extra podcast episode every month of our brand new show, Andy and Art Debunked, available only on Patreon. We're going to be covering uh, various urban legends and myths. We'll do TV and movie commentary tracks and reviews. We'll do pop culture conspiracies and much, much more. Becoming a subscriber will also get you access to our Discord channel where you can chat with me and Art and other bunk funkers from around the globe. You'll also get plenty of behind-the-scenes content and much, much more. So, please, help us support the show and keep the lights on in the bunker. Visit us at patreon.com slash MrBunkerPod and become a subscriber today. Welcome back, Bunkfunkers. That was our research of the Lake and Heath Bentwaters. Lake and Heath Bentwaters. Incident. Over here in Lake and Heath Bentwater. Um, I cannot do a, uh, a, like, a Suffolk accent or a Norfolk accent. Yeah, is that a difficult one? Um... And I mean, that's tough for us because obviously if you've listened to this show before, you know that we're masters of impressions and accents. Right. Obviously, we have a lot of um, skill, but this is one I just yeah. don't know enough about to know how yeah. challenging it is. It's fucking wild. Uh, I got to give a shout out to the UK. I really do. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> just, I mean, the amount of accents, the way it changes, you know, it's wild. I mean, it really is. is, There's so many different accents for one little fucking... I mean, not little, but like, you know, I mean, it's a one fucking island and there's so many different accents. It's wild. And, um, yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's cool. Keep doing your thing, UK. It's fun. I like it. Keep it up. I want to see where you're headed. But, I mean... You know, at the end of the day, it's like, just spell things the way you want them pronounced for fuck's sake. Like, you know, <laughs> what, you know, I don't know the history of the spelling <laughs> of these places in, in the UK, but I mean, they rarely are pronounced the way that they're spelled. <laughs> well, you better hope that we never, un- we never uh, cover any oh, fucking fuck. Welsh yeah. UFO topics. We'll just have to say the place in Wales, <laughs> like 
<laughs> Gwyneth Food McFergan Sturgeon blah, 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 blah. What is that like? That place that's like, <laughs> you know, there's there's probably a Welsh listener who's like, oh, you just fucking sent me hometown. <laughs> I don't know how to do a Welsh accent either. I don't know either. I I have a uh, I have a few friends from Wales, and um, it's a uh, yeah, it's a peculiar accent. It's I mean they all, I mean they all are. I mean you got like even just in like London the different fucking accents. Yeah. I mean you know you when you learn accents you learn the RP. Just kind of your common British accent, the royal pronunciation. The but, royal you know, I mean, you've pronunciation. Got like, I'm British, you know. Um, but then, I mean, just like even the Midlands have a Yorkshire accent, Sheffield accent. You know, all the, the Southern England sounds totally different. The Northern, I mean, it's wild. It's just, it's wild. Yeah, it's Welsh accent, you know, uh, Irish. You've got North Irish, South Irish. Belfast has a totally different accent. I mean, Scotland, jeez Louise. Yeah. You know, and uh, I was reading. You're a right cunt and <laughs> I deserve that. You're a right cunt and a right cunt. Um, I was reading that some of these accents, uh, because they're, you know, because of the way that, like, society is changing, like, you know, people, there's more, you know, people aren't so sequestered in their areas anymore um you know like travel yeah, we live in easy. a society you can yeah exactly we live in a society um you you can get out more you experience more people some of these more like right. localized uh accents like in norfolk and suffolk those are uh in danger of going away because people you know wow. people have their speech so impacted by like how they hear people read the news and stuff you know like people that are in media hmm don't have that accent. So it's like, you know, if you know somebody who speaks with that accent nearby, it's like your speech might get affected more by people in media than by, you know, locals around you. That's so interesting because I was always under the impression, and obviously long-time listeners know I have a degree in psychology, right. which means I can pretty much armchair diagnose uh-huh. anyone. That's uh-huh. true. Uh, but what I learned in, in, especially, and you learn this in like child psychology is, Pretty sure your um, your accent is usually developed by like your peers when you're younger, where you grew up. Yeah. That's why you'll have, you know. I mean, obviously, you can lose bits of it over time if you, you know, you see like Australians who have lived in the U.S. for a long time. They kind of lose a little bit. And not that you know, not every Australian accent has that fucking thick, fucking bogan. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm a fucking Australian. Yeah, like we don't all sound like that. We don't Sometimes all. We don't lighter. all sound like that. <laughs> I'm, Are you I'm an Australian, Australian, Australian now. for yourself now. Yeah, Australia, Australia baby, yeah. let's get it. <laughs> Australia would fucking suck. Nah, it would be a cool place to live. Um, they'd still have lots of prisoners. But, uh... <laughs> they wouldn't have gone straight. Oh god, it would be so unruly. I'd get so frustrated with people and their problems. I'd be like, "Just fucking solve it yourself. Leave me alone." <laughs> They'd be like, "This guy sucks as mayor." Or I guess president of Australia. Yeah. But um yeah, I guess that's kind of interesting. So, you know, you have a bunch of kids, all these fucking kids and their TikToks and their Twitch apps, YouTube, <laughs> and they're um they're learning accents of other people. Well, you know, and it's greater mobility, so 
you know, the people that live there maybe aren't people that have lived there their whole lives. And so they don't have that accent. So you don't, you're not yeah. constantly exposed to it. You know, maybe even your own parents don't have the accent. Um, wow. And so it's like the number of people that are like speaking with this accent is like diminishing. Cause you know, if you go to a school and most of the people don't speak the accent, you'll pick up the accent of the people that are at school. Cause you don't want to look like a weirdo. Right, right, right. Well, there's, you know, you can always find like on YouTube, these fun little documentaries to bring it back to America. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's like, uh, I forget where exactly it is. It might be like Texas German or Louisiana German or there's something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like there's like some like there's this or maybe it's like on the East Coast. There's this weird like German meets east coast accent and it's so fucking weird or i think it's texas german uh i don't know i i'm fucking it up but you can look it up just google around for weird accents in the u.s <laughs> but it's like you know it's like it'll be it, it's just it's so wild and it's like this like small little town where it was like this small pocket of like german immigrants or whatever and they kind of like the accents mixed or, you know, that's why, like, the Cajun accent is so fucking... It's such a wild accent, or Creole. Yeah. It's, like, this weird amalgamation of, like, American Southern and French and, you know, um, other stuff. I mean, we got some cool fucking accents, yeah, too. Yeah, right? yeah, there's but, plenty of cool accents. I mean, and there's real, like, specific regional things, like 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 yeah. New Jersey, where it's, like, North New Jersey and, yeah. and Central New Jersey and Southern New Jersey, right, right, right. like... You know, shout out to our New Jersey listeners. We know you got a few yeah, of you out there. Yeah. We don't want to step on that fucking pork roll <laughs> debate. Yeah. Get our fucking get our pork rolls cut yeah. off. <laughs> Erica, we're watching out. Don't cut our pork rolls off, please. OK, um, um, I do want to say this, though, that. Um, you know, once um, once Bunker ever once we, you know, I don't know, find Bunker's riches and all his uh, gold that he has mm-hmm. hidden. Uh, and we strike it rich and we make it rich. I probably, I, you know, I want to buy like a small country house out in uh, fucking Scotland, like in the middle of nowhere, remote, far away. Just fucking live in a little, little country house. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. You're going to be like Paul McCartney. You huh? want to do that? Yeah, maybe Paul McCartney. I'm going to marry a girl with no legs. <laughs> That's, and then start a shitty band and get divorced. Um, you hate wings. I think wings. Is I good, don't hate whatever. wings. You fucking hate them. I don't love Paul McCartney's solo career. You fucking hate them, don't you, Andy? You fucking hate wings. I love me some wings. I love wings. The food. You love. You hate wings. Don't I love you? wings. The food. Me. I'm less into wings. The band. <laughs> Well, Andy, where are you on Lake and Heath Bentwater, the UFO? This is a cool one, Art, huh? I like this one. (sighs) This one's fucking a little dense for me. (laughs) Well, maybe you're a little dense for it. It's a little hard for me to... Yeah, well, I'm a little dense for it, I'll be honest, but it's a little hard for me and my little pea brain to just wrap my head around it. A lot of facts. (laughs) Too many. A lot of times, a lot of bases, a lot of radar. Too many facts. (laughs) It's dense. I don't know. For me personally, Tehran UFO has a leg up on this one. Not enough descriptions of the UFO. Not enough weird stuff going yeah. on. I'll um, give you that. I'll give you that. That this the Tehran UFO is a cooler UFO 
Like the descriptions of it are much cooler. Because this is yeah. pretty much just a, a white light. It's like, mm, okay. Right. That's kind of lame. But at the same time, I don't know. You know what's interesting about this? It's, it's sort of similar to Tehran in this, that a lot of the things that would be easy to like, you know, be skeptical about, they're not really that applicable here. Like there's yeah, good, I there's mean, good ways to refute yeah. those. What was, you know, was this, was this a crazy night of radar malfunctions? Andy, like my favorite animated <laughs> Adam Sandler comedy, eight crazy radar malfunctions. <laughs> <laughs> crazy nights of radar malfunction <laughs> that was his uh his like come on ma <laughs> i know that's my adam sandler it's not very good that was pretty good no 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 go to your home I, I don't know. i've only seen like i've only seen like two adam sandler movies like i'm not a big adam sandler guy um so i'm not good at uh this is Jack and Jill, not really. <laughs> That's, you've seen that Sandler one a times. Slap, slap, slappy jews. You know, it is that. Uh, and don't forget uh, Opera Man. Who's Opera Man? Uh, where he read the news like an opera singer. Oh, no, I don't mm. know that clip. Not a big SNL guy either. I'm like one of the few fucking comedy people who was like, I wasn't allowed to watch SNL. <laughs> And I don't know. I've never been a big fan uh, of it. <laughs> yeah, we're missing much. Yeah, I wasn't missing much. People get too fucking obsessed with that stupid yeah. show. Don't get obsessed with anything unless uh, it's Mr. Bunker's conspiracy time. That's true. Get very obsessed with that. And, you know, listen to it. <laughs> that's the only way. Because please, the hosts need it. They need it yeah, so just bad. listen to it all the time. But I mean, yeah, what are you going to say about this? You're going to say that all these bases, like, you have to say there was something going on. There was something there. You don't have to say what it is, but you got to say there was something there that Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think anybody really is suggesting too much about this, that it was extraterrestrial spacecraft. But, you know, people are kind of saying, like, what you said, something was there. Or if this was... If this was not, there was not an object that was pinging these radars, there's some kind of weird phenomenon going on that we don't understand. So, like, there's much to be learned scientifically from this, potentially, because it's something weird that's happening across different radar sites. You know, the pilots in the planes, those radar systems on the planes are even picking this stuff up. So... I'm kind of like you are. I I gotta believe there was an actual object there, a, a unidentified, literally flying. a UFO, literally a UFO. And you know we're kind of doing this with hindsight. Sure. That uh, I believe this year, the U.S. Navy or Department of Defense or whomever basically confirmed that they have footage of UFOs. That they are like, yeah, we don't know what this yeah. is. And it's flying in there and they showed that. You guys remember that? You know, in 2020, how that was like a blip on the fucking radar. <laughs> UFOs confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> 2020's fucking radar, dude. Well, you know, they're so keen to like even the Condon committee report. Like, you know, Dr. Condon at Colorado like had this bent that this the report takes a lot of flack for this too. You know, from like people who know stuff. Like, it's like Condon came into this with the idea that no matter what, 
they were going to skew everything to say that studying UFOs wasn't a worthwhile scientific pursuit. Like they weren't right. like they weren't believing in it and they just wanted to kind of shut it down. And that ended up they kind of wrapped it up, would you say, kind of like Dr. Condom <laughs> Dr. of Condom. the Condom Committee. <laughs> yeah. Uh all right, I just wanted No, just I mean Dr. Dr. Condon was a uh was a a big figure at uh at uh Col- in the University of Colorado. Um so yeah, he had a big figure, yeah, you know Dr. what I mean? Kong Dong is what they used to call him around campus. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> but you know, there was like there was like a memo from one of the like lieutenants, one of his like chief people who was working on the the committee report about how they could make it always look like something easily explainable instead of like actually right. So it's kind of weird that they went out on a limb for this one and said that it seems like there was actually something there without really saying what that thing was. You know, obviously yeah. some people think weather balloon, which a lot of these things. Weather balloons a classic. classic explanation, you know, from what we learned uh, when we looked into uh, the Wright Patterson uh, Air Force Base, uh, that episode. Like I don't know, this a weather balloon, like a spy balloon or something, doesn't seem so crazy to me. But those things weren't moving four thousand miles an hour. Like no. that doesn't, and they wouldn't show up as a bright white. Yeah, you light. wouldn't see that from the ground like that. You wouldn't see anything from the ground probably. Can we be certain? Can we rule out that this was David Bowie being born? <laughs> uh, what year was Bowie born? <laughs> I think he was. Um, what year was Bowie born? Uh, uh, I think he was older than that, right? He was born in 1947. Yeah, so this was, this was nine shit. years after his birth. He's old. Jeez, he was fucking nine years old when this shit was yeah. happening. So it wasn't the birth of David Bowie. We just ruled that out scientifically. Yeah. <laughs> See, see, bone funkers. Here's the scientific process in action. Um. Yeah, I mean, that is interesting that the content committee would go out of their way to be like, "Yo, something was fucking up with this one." Yeah, and you know, Gordon Thayer, the the like guy who analyzed all the radar and vi- radar visual uh, cases in uh, in that, you know, like maintained that. A lot of the skeptical uh, explanations just didn't add up. Um, you know, there's a there's an article in the research where he's kind of like summing up why, because I think he was like some kind of meteorologist or atmospheric like scientist, um, which is why he was like analyzing this radar cases for the Condon Committee. I mean, he in a follow up like in 1971 or something, he wrote a an article for the uh, I don't know, like an aeronautical society. And it was about that case and about how some of the more skeptical things like anomalous propagation just really don't make sense um, based on all the things that are known. So, and like based on what they know, it looks like when there is anomalous propagation. So it's just like all these Mm. skeptical kind of uh, threads you can pull on. Nothing really, nothing really, uh, nothing really makes sense. Yeah, I mean, what the fuck in 1956 was traveling at 4,000 miles per hour? I mean, you know what I think is real interesting about this one? 
that Anthony Davis was slamming dunks in the NBA before that he was an airline pilot I mean, in World War II? That number one about this. I mean, we need to really get to the bottom of this uh, because the <laughs> unibrow was dropping unibombs. <laughs> yeah, back then. Yeah, oh back God. then the unibomber. Uh, I think what I find really interesting is that, like, even with Tehran, like, you and I both like the Tehran UFO story a lot. Oh, God, we love fucking Tehran. We eat fucking Tehran all day long. I'll yeah, eat it up. Eat it up. Put it in a bowl. Serve that to me on a fucking plate. I mean, I'll fucking scoop mm-hmm. it into my mouth. Well, you eat everything. Well, yeah, I, I love a bowl. I don't care for plates because I like to be able to tip the bowl and just let the food slide into my mouth. There's less effort that way. That's right. <laughs> and I mean, most of the time, you just fucking you just have your wife put your food in your right. trough. I like I you know, frankly, COVID's been a blessing for me because it's <laughs> no longer frowned upon to wear a mask. So I just usually <laughs> stuff like a cooked piece of meat inside of my mask so that I can gnaw on it. Yeah, you've got one of those horse masks where you got a big yeah. fucking basket of oats and other mm-hmm, things mm-hmm, and yeah. Cooked yeah. meats, uh, cooked, you know, cooked wings. Um, you know, I have, I have basically like an appetizer <laughs> sampler wings. platter. You know, I've got buffalo wings, yeah. fried mozzarella, Southwest egg rolls, Southwest egg rolls. I got uh, <laughs> chicken pizza poppers. I got it all. Jalapeno poppers. Yeah. Anything with that ends with a popper. Tots. It's all in there. Um, but with Tehran, look, skeptics on that one had a very elaborate explanation, right? It, it almost like they almost were we were like what the like okay skeptics like fuck off here with this fucking meteor through Jupiter right. bullshit you know but they but they tried right they tried. skeptics here are kind of like mm. oh like <laughs> like Philip J class uh, Ian Ridpath like these these are the kinds of people who are like saying that oh this is all just explained through you know. People, people can, you know, atmospheric phenomenon, people misinterpreting the meteor shower. Like, yeah, it's possible, but it kind of does like, they don't always explain the same thing. It's like eyewitnesses on the ground saw it and they also saw it on radar. So it doesn't make sense that it's like meteor shower, you know? And it's like the way that it's like standing still on radar and then zipping across like, so that you know, they're saying it's like, oh, this it's this menagerie of things. Like it's it's anomalous propagation. It's you know, uh, weather anomalies or anomalies in like the atmospheric conditions. It's radar malfunctions. It's uh, confusion from eyewitnesses, and it's all of that combined. And it's kind of like, I don't know, it's pretty weak to me, to be honest. Like weaker even than yeah. I think the Tehran, which was kind of a stretch. Wow. I think this has a weaker skeptics take. Wow. That's a big take, Andy. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's like, I don't think skeptics. It's bigger than Anthony Davis's unibrow. <laughs> yeah. And bigger than his impact on the NBA finals this year. Hey, let's go heat. Go yeah, Jimmy Butler. Yeah, yeah, they finally won one. They did as of this recording. <laughs> yeah. Not to date. Um, hopefully they can tie up the series and then take the chip. Take the chip. The champion chip. Chip. Yeah, I think it's big. But that's how I feel. Like, I don't I wow. didn't see that. Wasn't expecting that. I'm going to be honest. Wasn't expecting well, you know, that. You know, when you see things like this, I mean, I think we've been doing, you know, 
we've been doing all we've done a lot of these episodes about this isn't our okay. first rodeo bunk funkers. I know that this this is the most amateur fucking show on <laughs> the market, but it's not average radio. <laughs> this seems disorganized, disjointed, uh, complete mess. But honestly, we've done this yeah. a lot, and this is as good as it gets. So, I think when you when we're like you're seeing two alpha male chads at the top of their fucking game when you listen to this show, okay? <laughs> That's this right. Two winners, baby. Like if, uh, <laughs> the world's strongest, healthiest, most alpha Siberian tiger was driving yeah, a freaking Porsche Corvette, and in the passenger mm. seat is the most hogged so out is- king of the jungle uh, male <laughs> lion uh, you've ever seen. Okay, this is me, yeah, this and, is you. me and you. And. We're fucking driving down the Rainbow Road from Mario Kart, uh, and we got 60 blue shells, and we're just destroying everybody. Finish line, record time. Um, that little fucking ghost guy, that little ghost, the little turtle guy, the Koopa on the, the ghost with the fishing pole is hanging out in the back. He's wearing sunglasses. He's got his fucking boom box. We're jamming to tunes. We're having a great fucking time. That's this podcast. We have a sidecar with Peach and Daisy and the female Yoshi. (laughs) Actually, fuck Peach and Daisy, only the female (laughs) Yoshi. What was that? What was that character's name? Birdie? Uh, She had those DSLs. Oh, man. She was sucking those eggs in Super Mario (laughs) Brothers 2. <laughs> all right, fuck Mary Kill all the all the characters in Mario Kart. <laughs> Toad for all three. Yeah. Yeah. First I fuck him, then I marry him, and then I kill him. Yeah, Toad is Toad is always all three. The only thing that you the only thing you decide is the order in which you do things. That's right. Some people choose No, I think you gotta throw Shy Guy in there. <laughs> yeah, which uh yeah. I mean, who doesn't want to fuck Bowser? I don't, frankly. I mean, I'm sure that he'll give it to you hard, but he doesn't care about your needs. That's true. If he comes and you didn't finish, he's gone. Your needs are always in another castle with him. Yeah, exactly. They're never in the first, you know, never in his castle. Yoshi. Oh, that tongue. Baby Mario. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Good night. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Um, <laughs> trying to think of all the other characters. I don't even fucking know their names. Yeah, you know, there's just a. Uh, let's see. There's Waluigi, Wario. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. We're the Wario and Waluigi of the <laughs> podcasting world. Yeah. I mean, that's Listen, who we are. Listeners, you decide which one of us is the which. <laughs> I'm a gonna ween. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good warrior. Thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, I like. Anyway. I liked Wario's castle on Game Boy. Uh, Wario has great fucking games. He yeah. had a, his DS game, his like mini game DS game was fucking awesome. Yeah, I played the shit out of that game. I don't remember what it was called, but yeah, Wario has some great 
uh, games. He's fun to play in Smash Brothers. Yeah, he's, got, he's sure. a fun. Ca- he farts on people, Andy. That's yeah. one of his moves. He fucking farts. Yeah, he's he's like a very cartoonish uh, villain. Like, you know, always oh, very cartoonish. Like Mario is not so cartoonish as a hero, right? Like, but no, Mario's Wario. very like milk toast. Sometimes he's yeah. very like, oh, like I'm a me, Mario. Yeah, he's always and he's, you know he's fun. He's cute. He's got a. They've been very into a lot of the the recent Mario games have been like all about giving Mario different outfits, especially uh, Odyssey, the one that came out for the Switch. He's got like fucking a million different outfits that you can buy. Wow. Um, Wario, is, uh, here's a fun little Japanese fact. Okay. I'm gonna fuck this up. Oh boy. But I think wa, the word wa. I think translates to like negative or like bad mm-hmm. or maybe opposite one of those three, but that's why he's Wario. You know, he's like the opposite of Mario. And it just so happened right? that and all he, he had to do was flip the M upside down in English. Right. Huh. Right. That's, that's, Isn't that neat? That's cool. It's fucking clever. Yeah. And then, then there's Waluigi, which doesn't, it's not as fun of a translation work but as well, but still the same. They're thing. like the opposite versions. They're the evil versions. Yeah. That's your little fun fact, bunk funkers. Don't say we didn't fucking teach you something. You ever look at that Waluigi hentai? <laughs> what do you think my fucking phone background is, bro? <laughs> Good answer. Every time Good I'm answer. fucking unlocking my phone to answer a call, I'm jerking off. Uh, uh, Can't get enough of the stuff. Hello! <laughs> <laughs> yes! Uh, this- I'd like to do stuff to collect calls! This is he. You. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Sorry, I just saw some crudely drawn pictures of uh, Waluigi taking it in the ass from a shy guy. <laughs> crudely drawn? You draw these yourself? Yeah, I draw these myself. <laughs> I'm a bit of an artist. I got a not safe for work NSFW Patreon. Check me out on DeviantArt. Come see me. I'm Spluigi. <laughs> Wasp Luigi. Wasp Luigi. Davianart.com. There it is. Um, yeah, I mean, this this one, it's, uh, it's tough to describe. There's really no description of the UFO. It's just kind of, you know, and so we're just kind of going back and forth on everybody's stories on this one. Right. You know, and, and obviously we don't have any, the UK, we don't have your take on it because you guys destroyed all the evidence. Right. Purged it. Uh, meanwhile, the US, we fucking hoard everything. Um, I mean, yeah, it's a tough, uh, I don't know. It's a tough, uh, it, it's a tough one. In defense of the UK, we do have more room to store paper. <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole reason. Yeah. <laughs> Think how much paper yeah, you can I mean, store in Wyoming. <laughs> I don't know, Andy. I mean, I don't know what else. I, you know, is there any other topics you want to bring up for this bad boy? I, I mean, I I think I think that it, you know, it sort of it sort of sits 
like this. It's like there was a a lot of visuals on this, yeah. a lot of radar hits on these things, mm-hmm. multiple stations, even multiple. I mean, it's not just the U.S. Air Force. It's also the Royal Air Force that keyed in on these things. Like, there's a preponderance of evidence, in my opinion, that there yeah. was something there. And there's something there. It's we just don't know what. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, and pretty wild to think that because of the security, because of how, like, there's so many air bases in the area. I mean, there were nuclear weapons. Uh, this is on the east coast of, of England, so it's really not that far from the Soviet Union. Uh, like, the fact that they thought that these were, you know, and I think one of the people, maybe Mets or somebody, says that, like, Soviets were, you know, they were always ready to scramble because so the Soviets were, like, always flying close to their airspace like multiple times a week, you know. Oh my God. They were so like that little brother, little sister who was like, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. Finger right in front of your face. Right. As the Soviets do. So I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. (laughs) Was that Soviet? Yes, I'm Soviet. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. Okay. Uh, You know, uh, like when we did the, uh, the ice doll woman, you know, it's like the mm. Soviets were spying on the uh, on the Norwegians building their penguin missile system. That's right. So it's like this. I mean, this seems very like the Soviets aren't shy about their like espionage. So, uh, well, are you leaning towards it being a uh, uh, by the fucking Soviets? Or is that what you're leaning towards? Andy? No, no, I don't think so because. Look, I don't even, you know, it's like if it was something Soviet related, the Soviets wouldn't have had any craft that could move that fast or any yeah. object that would move. Like, that's the thing that keeps getting me hung up is that. Oh, you're hung. I'm hung and I'm up uh, for this topic. Um, it, I keep getting like stuck on that is that, you know, even if you work your way and you start to try to say like, okay, well, what could this have been? It's like the speeds at which it moved. Yeah. The one, the only, the only radar hit that moved at like a reasonable earthly speed was the mm-hmm. one hit that Thayer believed could possibly have been uh, some b- anomalous propagation. Otherwise, everything else it moves, that moved on the radar screens either too fast or in patterns that aren't possible. You know, it's like, the speeds that they saw at Lake and Heath were, aren't weird. 600, 800 miles an hour. That's not weird. Even in 1956, right. they had planes that could go faster than that. But to go... Chuck fucking Jaeger. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's me, boys. Um, <laughs> Chuck Jaeger. Um, but, they, you know, they had the... Uh, it went from stopped... To instantly right, acceleration, no acceleration, just instantly going right. that speed, and then just moving to another and just stopping, like this. You know, I think that's like, and a, even that's not a that's not a what 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 meteor shower, what anomalous, <laughs> yeah, atmospheric bullshit is doing that. You know, yeah, it's like I could believe that witnesses on the ground might be seeing the Perseids and mistaking that for something else. But the fact that that's also showing up on the radar, like, that kind of doesn't make sense to me. 
Unless it's like yeah. a huge meteor. It's a big honk of meteor. But it's like no, you know, there's no, there's nothing to corroborate that. You know what I mean? Like there's no, yeah. there's nothing that says, oh yeah, there was a big meteor that crashed down in, in the UK. Yeah. You'd have some kind of evidence for it, right? Yeah. I mean like the, uh, you know, the, uh, the fuel tank that fell off of the Venom's wing. Like there was an investigation into that. They looked into it and at the time and they recovered the, the fuel tank. Like it didn't, it didn't do any damage to anything. It just kind of fell in a field, but it's like they looked into that. I mean, I think that given the sensitivity of this and their desire to make sure that this area was protected and secure, I think if there was a meteor that crashed nearby, like they would have, they would have known. Yeah. Plus then you have the differing altitudes where it's like, Oh, it's between like, it's, it's less than 4,000 feet, but then it's also between like 12,000 and 20,000 feet or whatever. That doesn't, that's not a meteor to me. Right. You know what I mean? And then like you said, it wouldn't be stationary. So it's like every explanation doesn't explain everything. So it's got to be some either combination of stuff or I don't know. Or it's something weird. A fucking UFO. Yeah, it's <laughs> maybe it's extraterrestrial. I don't know. Huh. Wow. There's no there's no one size fits all uh, explanation for this one. This is a steaming stumper. Isn't it though? Classic steaming stumper. Steaming stumper. Another great cockney phrase. Oh, it's a classic steaming stumper. Um Jeez, I don't, I mean, Andy, what, I mean, I don't know. Should we just get into verdicts here? Like, what's going on, man? Yeah, yeah, we'll get into verdicts. It's getting funky. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, what am I going to say? Fuck. I don't know what you're going to fucking say. I can't read your mind. Fuck. Now I got to actually come up with a verdict. Fuck. Fuck. Yeah, you do, motherfucker. You got to make a decision, which you hate doing. I'm going to go on the record about this. Oh, boy. You are going to look like an idiot. Um, Cause next week they're gonna announce, oh, it was a fucking meteor. Oh, we forgot. Oh, no. We forgot about that meteor that crashed in the Peterborough, in Leicester, Nottingham, Sheffield, Leeds, Shrewsbury, <laughs> Northampton, Milton Keynes, Bedford, <laughs> Carrington. A lot of fucking meteors. Yeah, there was Corby. <laughs> the UK was really getting hit pummeled. Sayaton on sea. Jesus. Kelmsford. Kelmsford. Colchester. Um, yeah, Andy, I mean, you're going to have to make a fucking decision here, buddy. I mean, you want me to go first or you want to go first? Um, you go first. I I want to see what you what how you approach this. And then I'll take you uh, the lead. Oh, oh boy. boy. I should not have even yeah, decided you, you, to leave. You offered this it. Is, uh, this is almost as bad as the time I uh, tried to go tango dancing. Yeah, you. Uh, insert the clip of art tango dancing. Uh, this is now a Family Guy episode. <laughs> Jeez, Lois. This is almost as bad as the time that I went tango dancing with Chuck Yeager. <laughs> Whoa, Chuck Yeager, you're moving too fast. Oof. Ah, I fell. My knee. Ooh, my knee. Ooh, ah, ooh, my knee. And then it cuts back. 
Um, well, you know, I mean, <laughs> that was a great Peter Griffin laugh. Holy shit. What a play by Andy. He's got some, fu- you got some fucking impressions under the belt there. You've been working on some. Yeah. Yeah. I dressed my penis up like Richard Nixon. Got a lot of impressions under the belt. It's a good Peter Griffin laugh. Hey, it's me, Brian, the dog. I'm basically Seth MacFarlane's voice and opinion on the show. <laughs> Hello, it's me, Stewie. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, it's me, Lois. Why do I, why do I always get turned into a sex symbol? You remember me it's from Mad TV? Hot in my khakis. <laughs> yeah, it's me, uh, Alex uh, Borstein. There you go. Did a lot of great characters. Hi, it's me, the rich dad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? Lois's dad. Oh, yes. Lois's dad is super rich. That's right. Giggity, 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 giggity. <laughs> oh, no, no. All no, right. no, no, no. <laughs> you can't be doing that, Poda. <laughs> it's kind of a Cleveland. Cleveland got his own show. That's right. He got his own spinoff, and then um, fuck. There's like American Dad. There was there was another one, right? Or was it just those three? Yeah, there was that uh, Quagmire spinoff, Quagmire CSI, where they uh, tracked down all the victims oh, really? of Quagmire's sexual assaults. <laughs> oh my god! And of course, there's me, Joe. I'm in a wheelchair, but I play by Patrick Warburton. I got a pregnant wife. Yeah. She kind of sounds like a mouse. She's very mousy sounding. Ah, <laughs> oh, Peter, my legs! <laughs> Just kidding, I can't feel them. <laughs> Patrick Warburton will always be David Putty to me. Go Devils. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah! Um, yeah, Patrick Warburton fucking rules. Yeah. Anyway... Jesus. All right. We've been stalling long enough. Hey, who are you? I don't know what to say about this one. Which which way are you leaning on this? (laughs) Well, let's say I'm not giving it high marks. (laughs) Wrap it up. I got the Trotskys. <laughs> I gotta go take a big steaming garbage chef. You know what I'm saying? Hey, look, don't crucify me here. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I mean, what the bullshit heck? <laughs> I don't know. I'm losing it. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna drink a beer all month this month from a local brewery. I'm having a real October revolution. <laughs> Oh Jesus! I don't know. Could this show get any Duma? It gets. Uh, it really pisses me off. I'm really seeing red. <laughs> God. 
God, we're hacks. Yep. Okay. Uh, Basically. Um, you know, I don't know what to say for this one. This is a, uh, I'm really perplexed. I'm befuddled. Yeah. You know, the the skeptics take, like you said, there it doesn't really hold, doesn't have a lot of legs. And, I, you know, I mean, what do you say? It, it, there was something up there. There had to be something, some kind of thing. Yeah. Flying around up there. We don't know what. Is it a UFO? Is it not? I mean, so your options here are it, it's it they're like unless it's some kind of super secret plane that can travel four thousand miles per hour and has no acceleration whatsoever, or you're saying that yeah, every single radar malfunctioned at all these various locations, and all the witnesses were also wrong. You're saying all those things, which I don't think I believe, or it's got to be. It's got to be a UFO or something that we don't we don't know, like some kind of anomaly that we're not aware of yet. I guess, right? Like, yeah, I guess, I guess, I, and I don't know what that is or what that could be. It's like, yeah, I guess your plausibility here is: <clears throat> is it plausible that it's a a genuine UFO that there was an actual yeah. flying object that of unidentified origin that was there, or? Are you? I mean, or is it not as plausible? I think I gotta go plausible plus and a half that it's some kind of UFO, Andy. Wow, yeah. I mean, plausible plus and a half. Like I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of. I'm. That's pretty high up. That's pretty high up. I don't remember what we gave Tehran, but that's pretty. That's a pretty fucking good score for a UFO story. Yeah, because Tehran in this one, I if I'm. If my bunker lore is correct, and feel free to correct me, okay. if the if the editors of the bunker wiki yeah. are out there listening and they want Keep to correct me, I'm pretty sure that Tehran and this one are the only ones getting positive scores so far. I believe that. I believe that. I don't think Chicago O'Hare UFO did did Jack Diddley squat, yeah. and uh, I forget every single other UFO we've ever covered. So <laughs> Chicago, there's a good example of one where I was. So convinced by the skeptics' take about the weather, because it made yeah. so much sense. Right, and, and there wasn't, there's was no radar. It was just all witnesses. You know, I guess this is like similar to Marfa lights in that way. And neither one of us were Marfa convinced lights. on Marfa lights. Like we liked the Marfa lights, but it wasn't. There was some Marfa lights in this one. Yeah, yeah, they actually saw Marfa lights. But I mean, you know, what do you, I? What can you say when the skeptics take? isn't super hot and you've got a bunch of other stuff still staring you right in the face. You know, it, this story dropped trow. It's right in your face. You're in the locker room with it and it's right in front of your face. And you just got to say plausible plus and a half. <laughs> yeah. Well said. Uh, now that's a verdict right there. If I've ever heard one. Um, yeah. Yeah. Art. Um, very well said, well put. Um, for me, uh, I'm going to... Was there an object in the sky above the area around Lake and Heath Bentwaters in August of 1956? I'm saying highly plausible. Wow, that there was an object. There was an actual object in the sky Wow! that there was a genuine UFO uh, there. Wow. I'm, feel, I'm feeling strongly about it. 
Whoa, wait, that's your whole verdict. What? Uh, it, that It's not just an object. It was a UFO object. Yeah. That it was... Wow. Yeah, the, 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 I mean, if no matter what the object is, it's unidentified, right? They didn't identify right. it. So whether, but I mean, should we say is it? Are you saying it's like some kind of fucking alien, extraterrestrial? No, because I kind of looped mine in with that. Yeah. N- oh, you were like, I maybe didn't state it, but I was thinking it, and I just assume people can read you my were mind. Discounting, and that's why I have a lot of problems with relationships. I, you know, if I'm if I'm gonna if I'm gonna factor in UFO, it's like I kind of have to. Like and say, how does that deviate your score? Yeah, that would that would discount me quite a bit. Okay, because I'm very skeptical much? of of extraterrestrial contact. Um, okay, like I do. Come on, Andy, give us that magic number. I do think there was some kind of object there. I'm not so convinced right. that it's of extraterrestrial origin. So, okay, I guess if I'm if I'm saying, is my verdict what I think there was? Do I think it was an extraterrestrial craft? Yeah. Uh, then I guess I'm probably more like I'm probably the opposite. I'm probably like plausible minus and a half. Oof. Plausible minus. Yeah. Come on now. What'd you give Tehran? Well, I didn't have to say. I don't think I had to say it was of extraterrestrial origin. That's a big I discount. Know, factor for me. We were, I think we were talking about a lot about a stuff here, but hey, that's your verdict. I'm not here to color yeah. your verdict. If, if we're if we're not saying it has to be extraterrestrial, I, I I'm highly say, plausible. You know, I think. I think. Well, then, what is it? I don't know. Yeah, come on. You can't just say it's a fucking thing, Andy. Come I on. I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm not gonna let you cop out of this. Like, one. part of me feels you like can cop a feel, but you part can't of me cop feels out. like maybe it's a combination of things. Like, you know, one of these like high tech for the time. High altitude, like weather balloons. It's a combination mm-hmm. of that, uh, making weird pings on the radar because of the weather conditions. You know, the fact that mm-hmm. everything disappeared when the clouds set in is kind of suspicious, but there's no good explanation for it. So, a little sus. I kind of think there's like some kind of combination of factors. And some people probably seeing like some of these meteors. I mean, it's hard to explain the whole thing uh, with any one thing like i said so it's got to be a a collection of explanations i think but i'm i have to believe that there was an actual object in the sky or objects sure. in the sky okay well that's your verdict and that's our verdicts um bunk funkers let us know what you think use the hashtag mm-hmm. you got a good one um Let's see what was in this thing. There's venoms, radar, hashtag radar love, hashtag radar love. <laughs> Thank you. What is that? Golden earring. Driving all night and hands on the wheel. I love that song. A great driving song. Wonderful driving song. Put that on a playlist next time you got a long drive. And put Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast on a playlist the next time you have a long drive. And email us about it at MrBunkerPod at gmail.com. Let us know what you think about this episode or any other episode you've ever listened to. There's a highly plausible chance we write back. Yeah, highly um, plausible. Email or uh, you can uh, tweet or DM us at Mr. Bunker Pod on Twitter and Instagram, respectively. 
Um, you can check out our new YouTube channel, Andy. We've got oh. new YouTube videos that we are coming out every single YouTube. month, probably the start of every month, where um, uh, we are we are. I don't know what you would call it. I guess we're animating or creating um, visual mm-hmm. uh, videos to accompany some of the research of our favorite topics. Would you say that's yeah? Fair? I would say that's very fair. Uh, I think these videos yeah. are very fun, uh, and oh, they're very yeah, fun! I hope that you'll enjoy watching them. Um, the first episode is out right now, and it is the Flatwoods Monster, and we've got some really fun heavy hitter topics coming up in the next couple months. So um, find us on YouTube. Uh, you, you just got to search Mister Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast or search for Bunker Videos. Yeah on uh youtube and find our youtube channel please like subscribe and do all that good stuff uh and if you have the means and you want to support the show consider supporting us on patreon.com slash mr bunker pod because for just five dollars a month you can get an extra episode of our uh, patreon only podcast called andy and art debunked where andy and i and sometimes guests do um you know we have uh, we have fun we do we've done some really fun episodes yeah. we've uh uncovered the myth that we only use 10% of our brains we commentated over an entire episode of ancient aliens and then did a review of the show that episode and we also did a conspiracy song countdown <laughs> where we count down the top 9 conspiracy songs from famous bands <laughs> And artists, and um, we've got some real fun episodes planned for that show. So consider supporting on patreon.com slash Mr. Bunker Pod if you want to get some of that and all the other great perks. Um, oof. Well, Flyboy Andy, <laughs> that's another one wrapped up in the bunk books of Project Bunk. Another Book. one wrapped up in a condon. <laughs> um, well, Andy, I mean, is there uh, is there anything else you want to say? Uh, I just want to say, hey, um, you know, thank you, uh, Lake and Heath Bentwaters, for a really intriguing UFO story. Lake and Heath Bentwaters, keep up the great yeah. work. You guys are fucking crushing it out there. You're killing it. Um, can't wait to see, you know, what you do in a couple months, you know. Reach out to us. Let us yeah, know. Yeah, keep in touch. Uh, we'll write back. Yeah, keep us in the loop. Um, well, Andy, let's jet out of here. What do you say? Uh, yeah, and go have uh, ourselves some radar love. I uh, I got my uh, my aviators on. I'm uh, wearing oh, yeah. a helmet, and <laughs> yep. um, I haven't slept in six days. Let's do this. We're perfect. We're ready to fucking fly, baby. So. For not the titular Mr. Bunker, but for my appreciable. Appreciable? Co-host Andy Hart. Appreciable. Oh, Oh, okay. I'll take that. Co-host Andy Hart. I'm Art Stone saying that was the whole enchilada. Hip-hop cheerio.
Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? Or just a horrible accident? That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Slaycation.